Hello everyone, today is November 21st, 2021. My name is Keith, we got our good friend Nathan here, and this podcast is episode 71. Thank you very much for tuning in. In this week's podcast, we're first going to go over a decentralized exchange on the Bitcoin network with Taproot. We'll then talk about the Lightning network being introduced as a tip feature on Twitter. We'll then talk about some metaverse projects that are absolutely exploding ever since Facebook changed its name over from Facebook to Meta. We'll then talk about the Constitution DAO, how they lost their auction. We'll get into the details of that and who actually purchased the Constitution. Going to be a pretty interesting person who actually ended up purchasing it. We'll then end off the podcast talking about the Binance Smart Chain Network. There has been some hiccups and we'll talk about kind of the um, issues that they're seeing and what Binance is responding in terms of the issues that they're seeing and how they're able to fix it and kind of seeing who is actually writing these um, these uh, challenges that Binance Smart Chain is facing. And we'll just discuss the pros, the cons, and our views of the BSE. So thank you very much for tuning in and I'll pass over the first news story on to Nathan. So with the episode that we published last, we were talking all about Taproot and how Taproot was going to be a big, big update for the Bitcoin network because it integrates the possibility for lightweight smart contracts onto this blockchain. And none other than Jack Dorsey with Square is looking to launch a decentralized exchange on the Bitcoin network. Uh, It's called TBDEX and there was a white paper released. The white paper is pretty interesting. And it's interesting seeing a publicly traded company like really dive into the nitty gritty of crypto. But ultimately, it's looking to bridge the gap between fiat and Bitcoin and really create a seamless exchange where people don't need the central banks to approve their currency deposit to an app like Coinbase or Square or something like that and really create the purest free market possible. And so this was a really quick Uh, adoption of the taproot technology and frankly i didn't expect it to happen this quick Uh, but ultimately this is very a very quick solution that came to market and i'm interested to see how this develops because it would reduce so much friction from the consumer side so for example in canada getting money in and out of crypto used to be very challenging but now we're all forced to use something called interact e-transfers and there's limits to how much volume you can do in a day or a week or a month and that's subject to approval by your bank. But now with this decentralized uh, decentralized exchange or Bitcoin, it really empowers individuals to transact, exchange, and transfer value how they see fit. So we're a big fan of Jack Dorsey and what he's doing with Twitter, what he's doing with Square. And ultimately, he is just evolving the financial empowerment of his users one step further. Uh, definitely well said. It's kind of interesting. Um, the project mission is to make it easier for those who want to convert their debasing fiat for appreciating bitcoin and uh, jack dorsey has been notorious for basically stating that we're in an inflation we might potentially be in a hyperinflation so really interesting to see that front and it's going to be very cool to be able to see a bitcoin network decentralized exchange and uh, i think it's going to grow very very quickly so we'll definitely keep everyone updated on the tbdex project Next thing we're going to be jumping into is still related, the 
Lightning Network has been introduced to Twitter on September 2021. So then individuals are able to tip each other, but that was only for iOS, so for iPhones. But they've recently introduced this feature also to the Android systems, which is fantastic. So both if you have an iPhone or Android, you're able to both send tips to certain Twitter um, profiles that have this option enabled, or if you want to receive tips, you're able to do it. It seems like a pretty simple process. We will be posting this within our Discord shortly after the podcast, so if you are on Twitter, and if you're looking to either get tips or to provide tips, definitely um, enabling this would allow you to either receive or send Bitcoin, so that's pretty interesting. And um, they just recently introduced it, so if you do have Twitter, definitely check that out. Next thing we're going to be jumping into right away is the massive parabolic pushes that a lot of these metaverse projects have been seeing ever since Bitcoin changed their name to Meta, basically focusing a lot of their efforts on the metaverse. We've seen massive appreciation in price, things like Axie Infinity, which has been doing well basically this entire year of 2021. We see Decentraland do really well as well. In the previous podcast, we did talk about the country of Barbados actually purchasing some virtual real estate in Decentralized for an embassy, which is very, very um, surprising to me, at least, and very exciting. Uh, We may even see some other government entities purchase virtual real estate, so they're able to maybe set up meetings for international national commerce or whatever they're going to be doing. But it's really interesting to see that even government entities are purchasing virtual real estate. Um, One that has been popping off recently that we've been talking about is Sandbox. The ticker is Sand. And then some TikToks that we made is for City. UFO has been a monster. I think it's up like over 400%. Uh, One that I'm definitely interested is in Star Atlas. It's on the Solana network. And one, uh, one I recently found is called MetaHero. So these are some of the metaverse projects that we're looking at. Uh, Some of them we already have exposure in, some of them we don't. But uh, just really great to see that there is a lot of capital funneling into metaverse projects. Yeah, we've seen this massive public interest kind of shift towards the metaverse. And that's really, I think, created a sympathy play on other industries like GameFi, as people are calling it, or nft projects so ufo kind of fits that niche of both GameFi and nft within the metaverse so there's definitely a lot of key buzzwords being thrown around uh, within this niche and ultimately it feels like the opportunities for stuff to invest in is pretty much endless at this point in time um, there's obviously always going to be plays to make within the market and especially at this point in the bull market people are going to be get looking looking to get pretty speculative uh, ultimately, UFO is one that I firmly believe in. It's sitting at around a $1 billion market cap. Uh, but if you are looking for alternative, Star Atlas, like Keith said, is a good one. One with a much, 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 much smaller market cap is known as Polka City. Polka City is one to keep an eye on. It's basically Grand Theft Auto uh, <laughs> with, an, with an NFT aspect. The game's actually super, super intriguing, and I'm interested to see how it shapes up. Uh, but again, with these smaller metaverse or game fire NFT token picks, definitely a higher risk. But we've seen what kind of gains Axie Infinity, for example, produced uh, once it kind of shifts towards, hey, you can play this game for a living. Because I think that's really what brought, for example, talking specifically about Axie Infinity into the spotlight is people in the Philippines are literally playing this game for their income. They make more money in U.S. dollar 
by playing Axie Infinity than they could make working in real life. And so I think that's we're entering a new age of financial empowerment with these NFT games, with these game five. It not only is a is a mechanism for speculation and investment as a vehicle for capital, but it's an opportunity for people who have disadvantageous financial situations like in Venezuela, Turkey, Philippines, these countries where you can literally make more money playing games online than you could working physically in real life. To me, that's true financial empowerment. And obviously, in order to pull off like an, playing full-time on Axie Infinity, the price has to be doing really well and there has to be a large amount of public interest, uh, aka a bull market. But seeing that even as a remote possibility gives me hope that this industry can change a lot of people's lives for the better in these hyperinflating countries where the currency is debasing at such an egregious rate. Yeah, well said. And to kind of go back on to Polka City, this is the smallest market cap out of all the different projects that we talked about. Um, you could own restaurants, taxi services, casinos, gas stations. So it truly is like a true life, real economy, but in the virtual world. And you could purchase plots of land, you could create experiences, kind of like decentralized or sandbox, but really it's combining the ideas of these already established metaverse projects and incorporating and incorporating them together as well as creating new ways and new avenues for users to be able to create passive income because if you purchase a gas station if more users are playing the video game if they have vehicles which you can purchase in the game you'll need to purchase gas and then they'll be using your gas from your gas station which then you'll be making passive income you don't really need to do anything so it's pretty unbelievable and i think this is truly the ground floor for the next i i would say um the next level of gaming where instead of just being trapped in a single game if you let's say in grand theft auto if you have a lot of money in grand theft auto you can't just transfer it over into a different video game it's kind of locked in that game you'll start to see the ability for users to be able to trade assets in different games with each other via nfts and nft marketplaces so you're really able to create really a portfolio of assets in the virtual world that you can trade into different video games or different metaverses. So it's not like you're stuck in a single metaverse, kind of like how we are in video games, where if you build up a large portfolio or a large amount of assets in that video game, you can't really get real life value out of it. But with the introduction of NFTs, with blockchain, and with these metaverse projects that are integrating NFT marketplaces, you will be able to basically extract value from the video game or from the metaverse that you're playing into world, real world purchases. And that's what we're seeing with all these countries here so pretty unbelievable to see and i think like i said it is still the absolute ground floor for a lot of these projects here moving on to something that's pretty interesting we did talk about this in the previous podcast this is the constitution dow auction um so or a uh, u.s constitution auction which a dow a decentralized autonomous organization basically rallied up a bunch of people who were interested in purchasing the U.S. Constitution, they created a decentralized autonomous organization to basically create uh, a pool of funds in order to actually purchase this. 
Unfortunately, they lost, and that will be the next thing that we'll talk about is who they lost to. Um, but they did actually raise over $46 million, so that's pretty awesome. And the reason why they wanted to do it is the Constitution is in the hands of the people, um, is, is kind of the, the mission that they were trying to go for. But some of the things that uh, kind of inhibiting them from actually purchasing it is I did recently listen to a podcast for the All In podcast, and Basically, because it's on the blockchain, because it's a completely open source uh, database that you can kind of search, people knew exactly how much they had to bid. Um, and if you're in an auction, you only really need to go up by a little bit in order to outbeat or outbid the person you're trying to compete with. So there are some difficulties with transparency because if you're in a bidding system and you know the other party's max bid, you don't really need to bid beyond that. So there are some difficulties that they are seeing, but seeing this massive just uh, improvement in terms of the ability to organize a group of people to raise funds to purchase something, this is an, a great example in my view. And we'll see, I'm sure, uh, DAOs create an organization for like purchasing sports teams or purchasing other art, maybe not the U.S. Constitution. So this is setting up, in my view, a platform in which a group of individuals can form a idea or form a, uh, a potential purchase, and then they just rally other people. It's it's basically like crowdfunding, but a lot more efficient because you don't need to jump through all the hoops. It's it's really cheap. Um, and for this example, Constitution DAO, they actually use the Ethereum network. So, uh, like the average, uh, I think the average amount that they the average person put in is around two hundred dollars. So the transaction fees alone basically kind of doesn't make sense for them to receive that $200 back because they didn't purchase it. But if you're doing it on something like Avalanche or Solana, it's a lot more efficient. And I think for the next DAOs, you will start to see either ETH 2.0 come out or uh, other DAOs being built on things like Avalanche or Solana, where it's a lot cheaper to build a autonomous organization. Yeah, DAOs are great because it empowers crowdfunding on a level we haven't seen before. But I think specifically like we've seen with this constitution DAO, we've seen a large problem emerge where smart contract fees have basically prevented people from getting their capital back. So the average contribution was $206.26. And they, because it's collected with a smart contract and redistributed with a smart contract, sorry, it's sent as a transaction, but redistributed as a smart contract. Basically, the fee that the smart contract would collect to execute that function would take majority of what people were donated. So now the $206 on average that people contributed is kind of locked in the DAO because just how bloated, slow, and expensive the Ethereum network is. I think in this light, it's a great opportunity for other platform coins, just like Keith said, like Avalanche, like Binance Smart Chain, like Solana. Fuck it, we'll throw Cardano, that piece of shit in there. <laughs> other other platform coins to enable this technology and really create the democratization of pseudo-venture capital fundraising. Pretty interesting, but it sucks that of all people, it was the Citadel CEO, the infamous GME bear, uh, that did pick up the DAO because it is going to uh, Arkansas, a museum of art in there. It's just kind of funny. I mean, I guess given that he still has a very large short interest in GME and it's pumping up, I guess he wanted to win wherever he could find it.
And yeah. so to uh, move into the final story of this podcast, we have some controversial stories, kind of pros and cons coming out of the Binance smart chain ecosystem. So for those who don't know, people aren't that fond of the Binance smart chain because of its alleged centralization, because there is a company, there is a corporate entity behind this blockchain solution. People are saying that it's pretty centralized and they have a pretty large uh, degree of control over the network. So it doesn't really follow the typical lines of how people expect a cryptocurrency to behave. And so there are that, that in itself is an issue and that's created some problems with how people develop on the network. And so basically right now, some programmers who are working on the Binance smart chain are saying that there's no code review, that these patches are simply launched. There's no public consultation. There's no response to bug reports and it's really Binance acting. It's basically like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not capitalism. Uh, what, whatever Russia and China have. Uh, oligarchy? Communism? Yeah, communism. It's basically like but whatever, whatever Binance says, Binance does. And so it's not really the most conducive to the community contributing, the community testing and vetting these patches. And uh, it's created some instability in the network, allegedly, with nodes not properly syncing or going offline completely and validators not being in sync with the blockchain. So it's interesting to see this dichotomy because... Binance Smart Chain, with a, without a doubt, is the highest volume network in existence right now. It's it's processed 14 million transactions in a day. And for reference, Ethereum's peak, Ethereum's peak transaction in one day is 1.75 million. So Binance Smart Chain is ahead of them by almost a factor of 10 times in terms of daily transactions. And that really speaks magnitude of... A, how cheap it is to transact, B, how quick it is to transact, and C, how the ecosystem is doing. What makes this so interesting is that it's, from the user side, you would never be aware that any of these instabilities exist. I mean, me and Keith are both pretty pretty bullish on the Binance Smart Chain. You know, we're in and out of trades on PancakeSwap. We're staking BNB, but with this news coming from the dev side of things, it's it's rather concerning, frankly. The two articles that we've been reading are on Bitcoinist and the other was on CryptoTicker, just kind of like the overview from the programmer side of things. And it's interesting because I think these could be biased where it's the programmers talking about their exacerbation and maybe they're only explaining one side of the story, but this definitely seems like a prevalent issue for the Binance Smart Chain where, in essence, Binance has 100% say on development and the future path of their project. Yeah, definitely well said. Um, it is obviously something that is an issue, but something to note as um, these stories are written by individuals that could potentially be biased. Um, it's not like Binance is just completely throwing all information under their rug and they're not confronting it at all. So they did actually confront it a little bit. Um, they said in the Binance blog there, uh, this unexpected growth tests the limits of the network and we acknowledge that there exists challenges on the full node synchronization. And they have a little link here for validators. If they are experiencing issues running a full node, they can go to the GitHub there and 
basically look at some of the troubleshooting steps that they could implement to try to get full synchronization for their nodes. But it's not like Binance Smart Chain or Binance in general is, isn't acknowledging it as, at all, like they actually are. But um, it just depends on if they're going to change how the method works in terms of commit, committing code on GitHub. Because as of right now, it just seems like anyone could commit code at any, any time and there's no real review. Um, but if Binance is able to first get full node synchronization and then for the future have a more structured system where if an individual or developer wants to actually commit code and change things there has to be a review there has to be an individual that is checking to make sure that the code is correct and it's going to be functioning how binance wants to so this is a ongoing issue it does seem like there is kind of two sides to the coin the one side is people um, kind of bringing up the challenges that they're facing from a developer side, but then Binance is also acknowledging the fact that there are challenges with full node synchronizations, and they have given some information for the developers that are running a, a node right now as validators for next steps to try to sh uh, troubleshoot this issue. And you kind of got to give it to them. The fact that they have so many transactions in a single day compared to the peak of Ethereum, you are going to have some limitations. You are going to have some growing pains that you have to go through when you are handling that many transactions within a certain network. So um, I'm still bullish on BNB for sure and Cake and all the other uh, either dApps or the actual layer one for Binance Smart Chain, but it does look like the devs have to definitely get working on the back end um, to make sure that if they are going to have commitment changes for code or if there's going to be some sort of new implementations for upgrades or something, it is a methodical, systematic approach and it's not a free for all where any dev can do whatever they want. So we'll definitely keep everyone updated on the BSC front, but um, that's some news that is definitely something to be aware of if you are a Binance Smart Chain investor. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's two sides to every story, but with the Bruno update launching November 30th, it'll be interesting to see if these concerns continue. And so on that note, I think it is a great place to finish the episode. I appreciate the time you have taken into the 71st episode of the Performante podcast. Uh, join the Discord if you haven't. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Stay safe and take care.